when the time comes for me to make that decision, what happens after this fellowship, I will always go with the thing that I'm most curious about. The thing that I just think is going to be really cool or really interesting because that's been my philosophy so far. And uh, it's done me pretty good. I, I can't complain about it. So I, I think that that's, that's still what I'm going to lean heavy on. and you're listening to another episode of Policy Podcast. Now, before we begin, I would love to introduce my co-host for this episode, Anjali. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Anjali. I'm a second-year pharmacy student, and I joined the policy committee to gain exposure in pharmacy law to one day complete that as a career. Yeah, thank you so much for coming today, Anjali. You're, I know you're going to do absolutely amazing in this episode, and I am so excited. Now, I'm also excited to introduce our very special guest for this episode. He was a 2019 graduate from the Rutgers University Pharmacy Program before moving on to becoming a community-based resident at the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy. And right now, he is doing even bigger things at his current position as a current Congressional Healthcare Policy Fellow. It is a program hosted by the Virginia Commonwealth University, American College of Clinical Pharmacy, and American Society of Health Systems Pharmacists. In terms of APHA ASP, we may all know him as our 2018 to 2019 APHA ASP National President. Now let's give a huge warm welcome to our guest speaker for today, Namit Jindal. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, thank you so much, Courtney. Anjali, it really is uh, really exciting to be on the podcast today. Thank you so much. And before I begin, I just want to say thank you so much for coming to this podcast. I know I probably said it a million times before, but I have to say it a million times again today. And what I am especially excited to talk about today is your background with pharmacy. Ever since you were little, you have once told me that you worked in a pharmacy and that you actually have very deep ties with pharmacy because your father himself was actually a pharmacist. So I cannot imagine the conversations you and your dad have at the dinner table every night, just talking about pharmacy and all the other stuff. So just to let the audience get to know you a little bit more, just so that we can get to know you a little bit more as well. Tell us a little bit more about that experience working at a pharmacy growing up and how that experience eventually led you to this deep interest in policy and advocacy. Yeah, no, Courtney, I'm, I'm super excited to be able to do that. And, and I, I say this not in a very cliche way, but uh, you know, the, the fact is, is that I didn't choose pharmacy. I feel like pharmacy chose me. And uh, you're right. I think by virtue of my dad being a pharmacist, I was exposed to the profession uh, very early on. Um, but I always joke and say it wasn't the most positive impression that pharmacy had left <laughs> on me. Uh, I remember as soon as I was able to work, uh, like if your parents own a, a small business and, or, or for those of you who are listening who, who have that sort of scenario, you work every summer. There's no summer break. Uh, you work every single summer to make sure that your parents or family business is being taken care of. And so, you know, I would blow up balloons. I would run the cash register. Uh, when I turned 18, I ran the lottery machine and sold scratch off tickets to the people who would come into the pharmacy. Um, and then, of course, through pharmacy school, I worked as a pharmacy technician. 
behind the counter. And so it was probably, I remember more often than not, I felt like it was the most boring thing I had ever done uh, because it was so monotonous, so repetitive. And you're right. Whenever we would come home uh, for dinner, that's all we talked about. All we talked about was pharmacy. And I was like, you know what? This is so boring. I don't ever want to be associated with the pharmacy profession again. Um, and, you know, but, but I think the one thing that's despite, you know, my intentions, the one thing that did rub off from those experiences was realizing how valuable having a pharmacy was for a community. Um, you know, the, the, the town that my dad owned a pharmacy in was less than a mile wide. Uh, very, very small town, uh, you know, not too many people in there, but because of that, it was a very close-knit community and everybody in that town knew the pharmacist uh, and my dad was engaged in community events and, you know, local parades and local community festivals. And so because of that, I got to see the real impact that a local healthcare professional gets to have on the community. So uh, it was a, it was a fantastic experience. Um, and I think it, it provided me a really good foundation uh, now being able to not just pursue my residency and what my experience was like in my residency program, but now in my current job as a, as a health policy fellow. Wow. I, I cannot imagine how large of a role your father played in that small town because you, you mentioned how he was, was it the only pharmacy in your town? Yeah, it, we, when we first started, it was the only pharmacy. And, and then of course we had a, like a grocery store opened up a pharmacy and then a CVS opened up a pharmacy in the town over. So, you know, a lot of those similar uh, issues that we're seeing now regarding, you know, PBMs and DIR fees and a lot of those issues concerning payment reform uh, and how they're driving independent pharmacies out of business. Uh, that is exactly the uh, environment that, that our family business operated in for so many years. Oh, wow. So would you say that it was because of these developments over time? Was that what helped you develop your interest into policy? You know, it was, I think it was twofold. Um, my first experience definitely came when I was a cashier and, you know, you would, the patient would come up to the counter, you would ask them for their last name and date of birth. You'd go behind and sort of pull out their meds from the bin. Uh, and then as we would, that time we used to have stickers that we would peel off and the patient would sign right onto our clipboard very old school and uh <laughs> the co-pays would be listed on the individual labels that they would be signing for and so i think the one piece that was really eye-opening for me was when patients would refuse certain medications because they couldn't afford it you know like i i've gotten sick in the past you know I, i've had to been on antibiotics I've, I've had to take a, a certain you know variety of different meds over the years and it, it never occurred to me how much of a privilege it was that my family, you know, my dad had a good paying job, my mom was working, that there was no concern about having access to healthcare or access to medications. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was really working as a cashier in this very small, you know, medium income, but probably closer to the lower side, where people would just say, I can't afford my blood pressure medication, I can't afford my insulin. So I'm going to make the conscious decision not to do that. And so for me, I, I think I was less worried about pharmacy specific you know, what we call payment reform today, I was more focused about, well, how do we ensure that patients have access to health insurance if they don't have access to health insurance? How do we ensure that um, patients are able to see a doctor, that they're able to afford their medication? So that was honestly my first exposure and, and thinking, well, 
as a pharmacist or even in the pharmacy, I'm kind of powerless to do anything about this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, outside of just paying for someone else's medications, which, you know, is, is good if, if the patient genuinely needs it, but it's not a sustainable solution for the tens of millions of people across the country who are seeing this problem. And so I really wanted to be engaged with what is that higher level systematic solution that's going to address those grievances at the local community pharmacy level. Right, right. And I I like how you pointed out, because even now, this is a very big problem in our healthcare society. Now it's that access to healthcare, and it's the issues with, for example, healthcare equity, how do we ensure that communities that may have lower income levels, or may not have as many beneficial um, socioeconomic factors, how can we give access to them? So you kind of grew up in the environment, just seeing it firsthand, seeing these patients going like, oh, I can't afford my medications today. Was there a, a second reason? I'm sorry, sorry for cutting you off. No, no, that's, that's fine. And I, I think it wasn't until I got into pharmacy school. Um, you know, when I was in pharmacy school, my dad ended up selling the business, partly because of those economic pressures about PBMs and, and DIR fees that made the business a lot more challenging or made the pharmacy a lot more challenging to operate. Um, and so in pharmacy school, I became really focused on these pharmacy specific issues. And then, you know, of course, through my engagement with associations and and the faculty and and the students that I was around, I really became focused on, you know, how do we fix the business of pharmacy? Um, Because if we can fix the business model associated with pharmacy practice, then we know that there's the right incentives, there's the right structure in place to make sure that independent community pharmacies in rural communities are able to serve the patients that they need to be serving. So, you know, uh, best case example of this is in my residency program at UNC, I worked uh, at, a, at a community pharmacy, uh, Moose Pharmacy. They've got, I think, seven locations now across uh, rural North Carolina. And in those communities, that is the only health access point for a lot of these patients. Um, if you want to go to the CVS, you've got to go to the closest town, which could be, you know, 30, 40 minutes away. And if you need medications like immediately, that's, that's incredibly important. And so that's in that residency program that also became the place where I was thinking about, well, if we don't fix the financial model or the business model that is surrounding pharmacy, then these pharmacies are going to close. And the thousands of patients that Moose Pharmacy that where I was at and other pharmacies like it are serving, uh, they have nowhere to go or they have to climb considerable barriers now to get access to the care that they were once getting that was in their backyard. Oh, wow. So a lot, was it a lot of what you did in your community pharmacy residency? A lot of it was gaining exposure to the community and seeing those problems firsthand. Was, was that a lot of what that residency was? It was, I think it was a side effect, right? Because, uh-huh. uh, you know, like I, I, I tell a lot of student pharmacists or even, even younger folks, or like we, as we talk, even friends of ours, as we talk, okay. I think you, whatever your narrative is or whatever your perspective is, you're going to look at a particular situation from that, from that angle. And so because I was very concerned about health access, because I was very concerned about um, coverage and, and uh, you know, medication pricing, um, any experience that I went to, that was my predominant focus. And so the purpose of the residency program was to make us competent patient care providers, being able to understand disease states, being able to work with um, other pharmacists, other technicians, you know, uh, physicians, nurse practitioners, and PAs to help manage a patient's chronic disease state. But 
a side effect because of my interests, I predominantly went into each one of those experiences thinking about, well, how does this affect health access? Um, how does the patient's you know, uh, insurance status, how does the fact that they're on Medicaid change what types of services the pharmacy is able to provide for them based on initiatives that were happening at the state level, that were happening at the local level. If we had a, a patient that was changing their Medicare Part D plan and they needed access to certain therapies, how does a change in their Part D plan provider uh, or their Part D sponsor, how does that change the price that the patient is going to pay for a medication, the types of uh, the formulary that that patient has access to? And so uh, to, to, sorry, a very simple answer to your question. Uh, no, that was not the point of the residency program, but I think those were all things that I was able to take away from it because uh, of my interest really, and because of the goal that I had when I was coming into that program. So we have a lot of questions that we want to go through with you about your Congressional Healthcare Policy Fellowship. So what many of our viewers really would like to know is how exactly has this fellowship um, taught you like valuable lessons as you've, you know, gone through the program? Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing that I will say that I'm incredibly grateful for uh, in the fellowship is, is that I, I feel like I've learned a new language um, and really... One, what I mean by that is when you're in pharmacy school and even all of the work that I did with APHA and, and pharmacy associations at the local and national level, you know, you're taught a very specific dictionary, um, provider status, payment reform. Uh, it's very technical. It's very, we learn to speak to our community of people, of pharmacists. So if you're at an APHA national meeting, for example, um, you're going to be in a room and everyone is going to understand the terminology that you're using. The problem is, is when you take that terminology and you try to say that to a member of Congress, uh, or you take that terminology and you say it to a stakeholder that is in charge of policymaking that is not a pharmacist, they don't understand that terminology. Um, there is no, th that's not clicking. And so, you know, one of the things that I've learned through the course of this fellowship is how do you, you know, what is the language that you need to use in order to get that across? Um, and sometimes it's not just the policy, right? I, I remember, you know, when I was interviewing for positions of placement, my placement position through the fellowship, um, one of the, the committees that I interviewed with asked to me about provider status. And in that conversation that I had with that, those committee staffers, I realized that they have a pretty good understanding of what the policy is. Um, but the reason why we haven't seen federal provider status is because it's a, it's a matter of politics, right? It's a, you know, the cost is too high, or we don't have a vehicle to get this through or this or that. And so I think the other piece that this fellowship has done is it, it gives you an insight as to what is the political structure um, that, you know, if you have something that you want to advocate for that you can get it through. Um, so that's, I think that has been incredibly informative for me so that as I think about what happens after this fellowship is over and the kind of role that I wanna play in healthcare and policy development to at least understand what are the avenues to get policy made. Um, and I think in pharmacy school and the associations, they do a really good job of teaching us about the, the legislative pathway. So that's why we have so many student pharmacists that go to the Hill 
Um, they have so many student pharmacists that do, you know, state advocacy days or state legislative days when they go to their state house to talk about issues. But there's a whole other side of this of this uh, policy making pathway that I've got to see and experience through the course of this fellowship. So based on those ex um, experiences, like, do you have any um, advice in terms for students who want to pursue the same, you know, fellowship that you've been in? Yeah, I, so I, I would definitely say is be like explore that curiosity, right? So when I was saying earlier that that's sort of been the, the piece that drives me, I would say is definitely explore that curiosity um, and, and do things a little bit non-traditional. I am a huge believer in being engaged in the political process. Um, so I think a lot of students that are interested in policy and interested in advocacy, they, they have the framework of things that they need to be doing. They'll join an APHA ASP chapter at their schools. Um, they'll be involved with the policy committee. They'll maybe go to an MRM or a, an annual meeting and, and they'll see, okay, this is the process by which we get to advocate for pharmacy specific issues. Um, you know, we'll go to the state house and we'll talk about state provider status. We'll talk about DIR fees. In New Jersey, when I was a student, we were really focused on getting students to immunize and New York and New Jersey, I know we were two of the last states in the country to be able to get that, that authority passed by our respective state houses. So um, I think that that's, that's the framework that a lot of students are aware of because that's what's been reinforced time and time again. But the thing that I always say, or I always encourage students is um, think outside of that. Get involved with a political campaign. Get involved with another medical uh, or another healthcare association. Understand what the policy of a uh, state medical society looks like. What are the kinds of issues that they're engaged with or that they care about? Um, know what the other stakeholders in healthcare are focused on. Um, if you have an opportunity to run for a, a position, whether that's at a chapter level, a national level, in pharmacy or non-pharmacy, um, a like a, a political position that I had, a, I was fortunate enough to have a chance to do. Um, take those risks because, at the end of the day, I think understanding the institution or understanding the infrastructure that surrounds policy, so the politics, is incredibly helpful in being an effective advocate. Because, you know, let's be honest, right? Like we all know as pharmacists and student pharmacists that the things that we're talking about are common sense. We know that when a pharmacist is adequately integrated as a part of a healthcare team, that patients get the value because uh, medication-related adverse effects, uh, you know, those are mitigated. The costs associated with that managing the costs associated with managing that patient comes down. So we know, and it's a no-brainer argument. But we're only talking to people in our circles, and if we do talk to the stakeholders, we're not speaking the language that they can speak, and we're not using the um, tools or we're not using the, the the channels that they're most receptive to and so you know i would say is know those channels learn about those tools develop a relationship with your member of congress read about the issues um, and not just pharmacy issues but broad health policy issues be able to connect the dots try to see the bigger picture um, I, I really don't think that it's too cliche to say learn as much as you can um, and just make a lot of noise because someone is going to see the passion someone's going to see the excitement and then give you an opportunity to run with it one day. I just want to comment about what you said before about how when you started working at your current fellowship right now, you realize that it's actually a whole nother language. And I, I definitely agree with what you say about how when we're talking within our circle, we all know what provider status is, but it may not necessarily be the same for those in Congress 
our legislators. It may not necessarily be the same for those in other medical professions. That's really important. And I remember talking about it with our previous speaker in this podcast. We talk about it because because I feel like when it comes to advocacy, a lot of advocacy is also a lot about understanding. And that's really how the message is going to come across anyway, in my opinion. For example, if we're talking to a legislator and they don't know why we're fighting for someone, it's really our job to break it down for them and say, this is our role, this is our position, this is why we're fighting for it. So I do kind of want to, I do have a question that I kind of want to just pick your brain a little bit about, which is um, provider status. So in New York, especially where St. John's is located, there's a lot of talk. And I'm sure actually, not just New York, but I'm sure in every single state, there has been a lot of talk about this new enhanced role of pharmacists during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm sure right now legislators, they have a lot of issues on their minds right now. So what is your recommendation to student pharmacists, to pharmacists, and to really just any other health professional who really wants to advocate more for the profession? What kind of advice would you give to them, especially now you've seen the more behind the scenes on the congressional side of things? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I have... I have thought a lot about this question, um, particularly as I've, I've had an opportunity to have conversations with pharmacists who are advocating to me as a staffer or as a committee staffer on the Hill um, about these scope of, or, or these reimbursement issues or scope of practice issues, whatever you really want to call them or related to them on, on what the right way is to frame them. I think one of the things that we have seen, and it's really incredible, is that pharmacists have gotten a lot more time in, this, in the limelight uh, or the spotlight during the pandemic. There, I have been, uh, I have had an opportunity to be on Operation Warp Speed, you know, calls, or or even like the Secretary of, uh, when when the former Secretary of Health, uh, Secretary Azar, talked about the distribution plan for the vaccine. They were very clear in saying that pharmacy was going to be playing a big role. Um, and so I think what, what that really shows is that they value, they value the role of pharmacists. They value the location of pharmacies. I, I still struggle with how the profession is going to leverage this exposure into meeting those provider status objectives that they've talked about. Um, in general, I know that you know everyone in health policy is talking about how do we strengthen our public health systems, how do we reduce inequities that currently exist uh, in, in in this space, and so I think pharmacies definitely have a role because of their presence in the community and where these pharmacies are located. But one of the things that I want to be cognizant of is that we don't just talk about the profession of pharmacy because of the location of pharmacies. I want to talk about the profession of pharmacy because of the competence, the skills, and the knowledge of pharmacists. And so I don't think that that connection has been made yet. I think right now, a lot of the emphasis during the pandemic has been how convenient pharmacies are because of their location, as opposed to, hey, look at all the great work that pharmacists are doing in running these clinics or running these services that patients have found incredibly valuable. Something else that we were interested in asking you was about the non-traditional pathways and policies that student pharmacists can go under, just like, you know, how you're pursuing a congressional healthcare policy fellowship. What are some other things that student pharmacists can get into in terms of after graduating and receiving their pharmacy degree? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And, and honestly, I, I think one of the things that I will emphasize 
to most pharmacists that are looking to do this uh, or student pharmacists that are looking to do this is still get practice experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say that is it gives you street cred so that when you get out and start doing some of these more non-traditional roles that nobody thinks that, oh, look at this person who has come, who has not practiced in this space um, and is now pretending like they know everything about you know, the profession of pharmacy. Um, because, you know, I, I've had, I'll have conversations with friends of mine, you know, we've, we do zoom happy hours all the time, which I'm really excited to never do again when all this is over. Um, but, you know, when we have those conversations with my friends who are practitioners, I, they will talk about their patient care settings. They will talk about things that happen in clinic. And I feel very disconnected um, you know, from, from the profession because of that. Um, and there are some things that they'll talk about that I can pull back from my experience as a technician, uh, as an intern in pharmacy school, um, or as a resident when I was, you know, doing my residency that allows me to still understand the, you know, what are pharmacists going through? What are business owners going through? What are patients going through? What are, so like, what are all these different pharmacy stakeholders doing? So, um, the first thing that I would say is even if you want to pursue a non-traditional pathway, do something related to patient care, do something related to the actual um, providing of pharmacy services, because I think that that experience is invaluable. And then once you have that experience, I think you're an incredible asset to almost any area um, that you can go into uh, that, that you could think of as, as non-traditional, right? So let's say you work in the hospital setting and your job as a resident or as a pharmacist is to understand, you know, formulary management. Uh, that can make you incredibly effective in a state Medicaid program. So if you understand how to manage a formulary at a hospital level, why could you not do that for a state uh, insurance plan? Um, if you have an uh, ability to go through data that a pharmaceutical study or a pharmaceutical company has put a study out on, um, why can't you go work for a hedge fund that specializes in a pharmacy-based portfolio um, so that you can read through those kinds of products? Um, If you have practice experience, in my case, in a small rural community pharmacy, and you understand what it's like to provide care for patients that are underserved, if you decide to go into policymaking, um, you will know how to provide or how to build a system that best serves those patients. Because at the end of the day, even if you are non-traditional, the end goal is always going to be taking care of the patient, right? Mm-hmm. So if you decide, like, I know that there's all these associations that have these executive fellowships or executive residency programs, even though you're not taking care of patients in that role directly, all of the people that I know that work there are always thinking about the patient. And so if you have experience understanding what is it like to actually be the deliverer or the provider of patient care, then it doesn't matter where you go. As long as you're thinking about that and that experience, you're going to be incredibly effective as a non-traditional pharmacist. So, so what some of those non-traditional policy type roles are uh, could be um, definitely the state associations uh, or the national associations. All of them have policy and advocacy uh, positions that pharmacists can be engaged with. Um, and there's a, a ton of space uh, that you can do there. Um, patient advocacy groups. I think you had um, a, a guest on your podcast, Dr. Adrian Simmons. Um, 
So she is absolutely incredible. I am obsessed with her. She is one of my favorite people. Here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely one of my favorite people. And, and she is running a policy. Uh, she runs the policy shop for a HIV advocacy organization. Or I think it's HIV or Hep C advocacy. It's organization. Um, National Viral Hepatitis. Yeah, so Hep C. So it's a hepatitis organization. So, but she runs yeah. their policy shop. So basically, everything that I do, she does it specific to patient care and probably a lot better too. Um, and so, you know, th that's another fantastic area for for students that are looking to do something more non traditional with a pharmacy related role. Um, I knew a couple of folks that. Uh, after residency or after fellowship, they went to go work for a, a member of the state house. They went to go work for uh, a member of Congress. Um, they went to go take care of um, policy or regulatory matters at a state Medicaid office or a state health program. Um, you look at, uh, I'm trying to think like Ohio or New Jersey or, or so many of these different states have state health programs or departments of health that you can work for. Your faculty member, Dr. Aria, yeah. another one of my yeah. absolute favorite people that I literally don't know how I would have gotten through this pandemic without. Um, she works for the New York, uh, New York City Department of Health. And that's another non-traditional role that is policy oriented that I think a lot of people sometimes don't think about because students, because we're in school, are in this tunnel vision of it's either industry, it's hospital or community, and we don't know the opportunity or we don't understand the value that the PharmD and a little bit of patient care experience, um, how much credibility that gives us when we think outside of that bubble. on advocacy. Now, we can all agree that 2020 has been quite a unique year for all of us, it's been quite tumultuous in both politics and in everyday life. And surely these events have sparked a new wave of advocates in 2021. For me personally, I know I have been watching the news more, reading more articles about what's going on in up in DC and even around the world. That or me just be growing up, who knows. But anyway, I just want to start off this conversation by asking you, in a more general sense, and of course, in healthcare, why is advocacy so important? Yeah, so I think if you ask any student pharmacist the question of, you know, why did they get into pharmacy? Um, they're going to say that they got into this because they wanted to help people. And I, advocacy, I think, is the next step. It really is the core of everything that pharmacists do. In order to help a person, you advocate for that person. So if we want to help patients, when you know, and let's say in the community pharmacy setting, if you want to add, uh, help a patient manage their blood pressure, you advocate for the patient when you call a physician to make a drug recommendation. Um, and so I think advocacy is incredibly important in this context of policy and, and legislative framework, because we know that our systems are broken, right? We, we talked about this uh, earlier that the United States spends the most per capita on healthcare than any other country in the world. And we don't have any, we, we don't have the outcomes to show that we, we have terrible value for the amount of money we spend in there. We know that in this country, your zip code is a better determinator of what kind of health outcomes you can expect. We know that if you are a person of color, if you are a member of the LGBTQ plus community, um, if you are a, 
in some cases, if, if you're a woman, um, that your life expectancy is shorter, your ability to access healthcare is shorter. And so if, again, if we are pharmacists and we got into the profession because we want to help people, we have to change the system. We have to change the underlying foundation on which these healthcare institutions are run. And so I think that now, because 2020 has done such a good job uh, of showing us where there are massive flaws, where there are gaping holes in our healthcare you know, uh, network or in the institution of healthcare, I do think that all of us have a role to play in advocating for our patients and building a better system that is more accessible, that is more affordable, and that is more equitable. Right. And I like how you mentioned before about how advocacy can be as simple as you speaking to a physician regarding a patient. I remember Adrian in our previous podcast episode, she mentioned something called everyday advocacy and how it can be something as simple as advocating for a patient when they're calling the insurance company because of a drug cost, or um, it could be advocating for more programs into a certain community because that community happens to have the highest level of discerned disease. So I really like how you mentioned that. And the reason why I'm really uh, eager to talk about this topic is because when we come to pharmacy school, and it's, it's something that you mentioned before, we're all taught this specific language. It's about, about pharmacology and the therapeutics and certain disease states. So advocacy is not exactly something that's talked about a lot in pharmacy school, unless you're participating in organizations or just doing some outside work. So how can student pharmacists be better advocates in the future, especially since advocacy is not something that we particularly focus on? Yeah, so I, I think definitely what students can do is be better about seeing the big picture. I think too often when we look at um, when we're, we look at how we're taught or, or how students learn things, and, and this is probably a fault to some degree of of schools of pharmacy in our educational system, but everything is taught in silos. Um, even when we do disease state education, everything is taught in modules, and you have a separate class that is focused on advocacy or pharmacy related. Uh, advocacy issues or policy stuff, but we never really learn how to sprinkle that in throughout everything that we do. But if you're not getting that through school, learn about those issues, right? I think that's, mm -hmm. it always comes back to it is if you are interested in this kind of work um, and you're not getting it from your, your school, I think that there has to be some personal responsibility, some personal ownership to say, I'm going to do what I can to learn about these things. Definitely schools and pharmacy, schools of pharmacy and colleges of pharmacy have an obligation to make that link more direct um, so that when a student graduates from a pharmacy school, they're not just a competent patient care provider, but they know how mm -hmm. to be competent and, and skilled patient care advocates. Um, but if you're not getting that now, join an organization, um, read about some of the issues, go to an annual meeting or, or a state meeting or a local meeting, um, try to get as much stuff as you can outside of the you know, four walls of your pharmacy school, because I promise you, um, not having been super far from graduation myself, like you said, I graduated in 2019. Um, right. If you are interviewing with somebody, if you are talking with a person, if you're trying to develop a professional relationship, nobody is going to care what classes you took and what your grades were. They are going to exclusively think um, 
how do how do you understand what they are going through? What value can you provide? And your value is not just going to be because how well you understand a disease state, but how well you're able to work with all players in managing a patient uh, patient's disease states, managing a patient's health, mm-hmm. and then being able to advocate for yourself, your patient, your business, your pharmacy, your whatever, um, to a physician practice or to another entity. So now to kind of end off this podcast, I do want to talk about how we can advocate to patients. Now, sometimes there is this some sort of public perception surrounding pharmacists among patients, and we sometimes do see it in our community pharmacies. There is this public perception that pharmacists are simply pill counters, which we all know is not true. Now, how can advocacy help break that kind of stigma surrounding pharmacists? Yeah, that's a, that's a challenging one, right? I, I think definitely you could talk to people and, and invite a member of Congress or invite someone to you know what you do. But I think the reason why that is what pharmacists are well known for is because that is what the business model prioritizes, right? If a pharmacist is going to get paid for pushing pills, that's what people are going to see because that's what you know, pharmacists are focused on the dispensing part of it. But I think in the meantime, as you're having conversations with patients, when you, you know, if you have an opportunity to step out from behind the counter, to talk to a patient, to counsel them, to provide a recommendation, you know, it might, it, you might not be seeing that value in a metric that you're being evaluated on if you're in the community setting, but still go ahead and take that time because that is going to help at least that one patient realize that pharmacists are doing more. When you are engaged uh, on the Hill or, or at your state house for an advocacy day, um, talk about some of those other things that you do. Um, you know, I think pharmacists are getting a ton of credit, you know, credit right now for vaccine distribution. Um, so I think people are realizing that, yeah, without pharmacists, a massive vaccination program is going to be very difficult to accomplish. Um, and so when there is an opportunity, take it. Don't shy away. It's a long fight. It's going to be uh, very, it's going to take a lot of time. But I think as other states are more successful about provider status, for example, and um some of those states start seeing returns on that investment for reimbursing pharmacists for some of these uh, direct patient care services. My hope is, is that slowly we'll be able to break this narrative that pharmacists are just pill pushers. Um, when you look at interprofessional education, um, I think you, because there's been such a heavy emphasis on student pharmacists working with medical students and nursing students, a lot of those other healthcare professionals, when they graduate, they're seeing the value of having a pharmacist be ingrained uh, or, or being a part of that team. When you have pharmacists that are able to bill incident to a physician or you know a physician's license, and they're being integrated into these family medicine clinics, I think a lot more of the people in those clinics are realizing that, oh, wait, I need my pharmacist. I need my pharmacist to be able to do the things that I don't know how to do, or I'm not skilled at, or I don't feel confident in doing. And so as those opportunities come up, as these flexibilities are happening, you know, we talked about telehealth flexibilities, I think it's really important that pharmacists take advantage And in order for pharmacists to feel comfortable taking advantage, I think that's really the role of these pharmacy associations. 
I think the role of these pharmacy associations is to provide the skills, the competency, and the training to ensure that pharmacists are comfortable and that they have everything that they need to partner with other healthcare professionals to take care of patients uh, in the way that they know how to. So especially during this critical time, how do you suggest that we become better advocates in 2021? Oh boy. I, uh, I really, I don't feel like we're in 2021 yet. I feel like it's just an extended, <laughs> like on December 50th, or we're just in a very long month of December. I, I think that's a challenging, that's a really challenging question, right? Of how do we be, because there is a fire, there's a raging fire right now um, in, in the context of this pandemic. And so I, I don't, I right now, I don't think it's up. It's the right step to start thinking of, you know, how do we leverage this fire to meet our objectives that we want? I know there are some people that say, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. Um, but I think the best, really the best way to advocate for the profession right now is to step up and do the jobs that we know how to do. Um, you know, when pharmacies were making hand sanitizer, right? Uh, we knew how to make hand sanitizer and we were dispensing them when there was a massive shortage. At, at my community pharmacy site, that's what we did. We had a relationship with the distillery and we, we got that done. And so I think compounding pharmacies, we were advocating for compounding pharmacies at that time. Um, so in 2021, uh, a lot of the focus is gonna be around testing. A lot of the focus is gonna be around vaccine distribution. Um, and I think that the best way we can advocate for pharmacy is to just do a really good job when it comes to working with our public health departments, working with our local, state, and federal officials, um, our tribal leaders, if you're in those communities as well, to just making, to, to just do the job that is going to bring the, the fastest and most equitable end to this pandemic. Um, so I, I think that's really how we do the best job, how that that's how we advocate in 2021, but I think that's also how we advocate beyond this. Now, before we say our goodbyes, I just want to thank Anjali. Thank you so much for joining today as my co-host. You have been absolutely amazing. And of course, I want to thank you, Namit. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your immensely busy schedule to come out and talk to us. We definitely learned a lot about not only your program and about your own experiences, but also on how we can elevate ourselves as student pharmacists. And I definitely learned a lot today and I had a lot of fun talking to you. Um, I just want to ask you if you had any more final thoughts or any words that you want to share with student pharmacists? Yeah, thank you, Courtney, Anjali. I, it, first, it was definitely super awesome to be on, on the podcast. Um, <laughs> definitely a little bit of imposter syndrome sometimes when you think about the people who have been on this podcast. So it really is an honor to just sort of to do that. <laughs> but but I, I think to sort of answer like the, the final thing that I would say is I coming out of pharmacy school, I think one of the, the most things was getting caught up in what faculty members said that I had to do, right? You have to do a residency, you have to do a fellowship. I, I, I wanna emphasize and stress that you really don't have to do anything, right? When, when you have a PharmD, you have an incredibly versatile degree that you can do a lot of things with. Um, and I would really stress and, and encourage students to take risks 
do things outside of what traditionally people do. Um, you know, I, when I first started, I found a upperclassman that I thought was super impressive that I wanted to emulate my experience around. And I tried to do everything that they did. I joined the same organizations. I tried to take the same classes. And what you realize very quickly on is like, I think Courtney, like you had said is, you know, if you're not passionate about something, but you're doing it because you think it's going to help you get to an end most often than not, it, it won't do that. So get out of that tunnel vision, uh, whether it's something your faculty members are telling you, whether it's an experience or, or a person you want to emulate and just do the things that you genuinely find interesting. Explore that curiosity a little bit um, because, you know, now is, is the right time. I think that everybody has in their lives to take some risks, to do those things that, um, you know, you, you may have wanted to, to, to pursue it um, because, you really don't know when those risks are going to pay off and you are going to have an incredibly fulfilling career ahead of you. So take those risks and, and uh, embrace a little bit of the fear that comes with it sometimes. Yeah, thank you so much for your words. And I can definitely tell that the overarching message is do what you're passionate about because you'll be producing your best work that way. Focus in school and get your shoe cred, but also extend your boundaries sometimes. Thank you so much for that. And thank you to our listeners for making it this far. Follow our Instagram page at APHAASPSJU for more content and feel free to catch up on our other Policy Podcast episodes on Spotify. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in our next episode. Bye.